0: This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your hosts, Radio Joe Hughes, and the Z
1: Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus, episode 672. This week, we welcome Tom Peter and Trent Darden from First On Site Restoration for a show called Joining Forces. The restoration industry is changing, and these two industry veterans are on the front lines. Before we get started, let's thank our sponsors. They're the reason we can continue doing the show. And don't forget, after the show, to continue the discussion at afterthoughts.iaqradio.com, sponsored by First On Site. Our marquee sponsor is First On Site at firstonsight.com. Our association sponsors are... The American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists, ACGIH.org. The American Industrial Hygiene Association, AIHA.org. The Cleaning Industry Research Institute, CIRIScience.org. The Institute for Inspection Cleaning and Restoration Certification, IICRC.org. Industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories, AEML, INC, Dot com Particles Plus. Particles Plus.com. TSI Inc. TSI.com. Sunbelt Rentals. Sunbelt Rentals.com. April Air. April A I R E.com. Healthy Indoors Magazine. Healthy Indoors.com
0: and now you can win a cool prize it's time for the iaq radio trivia question be the first to correctly answer simply email your answer to c zlotnick at cs.com or if listening live just text your answer from your computer and now here's the z-man hello everyone i'm happy to report that jillian dunbar with the florida department of health in tallahassee florida was first to identify open air factor as the combination of three words by which hydroxyl radicals were originally called after their discovery. The Iq radio trivia question for today, August 19, 2022, has been sponsored by TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for the monitoring of indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations at PSI.com. Here's today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Name the term for the business strategy of acquiring and merging multiple smaller companies within the same industry and combining them into
1: one large company. Back to you, Joe. Okay, so today we've got Trent Darden. He's the Senior Vice President of Operations U.S. East at First On-Site Property Restoration. He was formerly the Chief Operating Officer and spent 20 years working his way up through rolling Companies of Rockville, Maryland, now part of the First On-Site family. Tom Peter is the Senior Vice President for Regulatory Business Practice at First On-Site Property Restoration. He was the former CEO of Insurance Restoration Specialists of East Brunswick, New Jersey. He's also a certified industrial hygienist working as a contractor something a little unique in the disaster restoration industry. Welcome guys. Good to have you back. Good to have Tom back. And first time for Trent.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Joe.
1: Trent, let's start with you. You're kind of new to our listeners. Um, give give folks a little background on your, your travels through the uh, restoration industry, how you got started and where you're at now.
3: All right. Thank you, Joe. So I'm uh Came in in 2000, so 22 years. I was uh, working for a large government contractor and was approached by Roland Companies at the time to uh, get into this industry. uh, industry. Started as a estimator project manager and absolutely fell in love with the industry and uh, helped grow Roland Companies. We started, as you said, in Rockville, Maryland and in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and then we Grew organically and opened offices down in Charlotte and uh, moved our way down to Florida and Orlando and Delray and Houston and up into Philadelphia. And then a uh, little well, three years ago now, we we joined the first on-site family. A lot of change. Stayed uh, stayed heavily involved with our senior leadership and where we're going today and who we're going to be tomorrow.
1: And Tom, some of our listeners know you from past shows we've had you on. It's been a while, actually. Yeah, it's Uh, been a
2: while, yeah.
1: (laughs) When you were with IRS, but uh, just give listeners a little background on yourself and how you got involved in the industry to start with.
2: Sure. I started in 2000 as well. Uh, But before that, I spent 10 years as a consultant, as an indoor air quality asbestos guy, uh, working for companies in New York and such. Uh, moved to New Jersey, found cross paths with IRS. Um, they hired me. They said, hey, we want to hire an industrial hygienist to get us through these, the mold crisis in the 2000s. And so I got involved uh, training and, and uh, complying with all the re- mold re- regulations. Uh, then we uh, developed new business, and that's uh, the duct cleaning business and infection control business. Uh, our environmental services, um, so that made us unique in our market, and we grew our company over 35 years into a great uh, business, and uh, last year, September 2021, or 2021, we joined forces with First On Sight, met Trent Darden, and working with a great team uh, throughout the whole country right now.
3: You know, Uh, Tom, we both have 20 years in the industry, but I have a lot more gray hair than you.
1: (laughs) Good question, Trent. (laughs) Tom, I, you know, we, I recall that we just had you on not too long ago, uh, maybe at the beginning of COVID. And we were talking a little bit about disinfection. I wonder how much has it changed? Um, Are people
2: still asking you to go out and disinfect spaces? We are actually, uh, we do work for the state of New Jersey. Uh, it's their protocol, not ours, but their protocol is to say, Hey, we want to have an area, um, isolated and cleaned before it's reoccupied. And so we're actually seeing another surge of that, uh, this last few months and we're getting five or six or up to eight, uh, cleaning jobs a day. Is it they, you
1: know, as I understand it, the, the transmission is primarily airborne uh some on surfaces. do they realize that now and and they still think you know hey let's let's clean the surfaces
2: anyway because that's never a bad idea. I know they just uh as a protocol, they want to have the areas cleaned and disinfected so okay, all right well, let's talk <laughs> a little bit more about the the industry in general um
1: and either one of you can comment or both from your vantage points. Can you comment on, on what are the, what are the driving factors behind this? and I'm not sure if our listeners are all aware of this, but there's a big consolidation trend in the restoration industry. It's not just first on site. There are several other large companies that are buying up companies and putting them together. What's driving that?
3: So I think you'll find that the majority of the driver behind that is the ability to really become a national client. So take Roland, for example, where we had, strategic partners all over the country, we were able to fortunately service those clients and joining forces with other like-minded groups that are focused in the same general business practices, you know, clients and employees first and um, the right career paths for employees and to really create the future for not just your own entity as you were acquired, but also career paths for all employees of all entities and really be able to service your clients. You know, if you're talking about just America coast to coast, but, you know, North America, Canada and Hawaii and get into uh, the Caribbean and, and other areas. So the ability to really extend your service the way you do it all day, every day in coast to coast would be, I think, the biggest driving factor.
1: I would imagine there's, because there are a lot of these large companies that are national, maybe international, that's that's kind of what you're driving at there, Trent.
2: Right. Yep. More, more. Tom, want to add anything, Tom? Well, yeah, for us, um, we always had the New Jersey market, and we never ventured out past New Jersey, maybe into Pennsylvania or New York a little bit. But we grew our company, and I think we matured our company And I wanted to join forces to expand our resources, be part of a bigger picture of the country, you know, having a national presence. And we're all excited about that. And I see it a great opportunity for us as a company and for my employees as well. I have a question. You have a bunch of different people that are are like
0: minded. However, uh, they probably each have their own way of doing business. And um, I suspect, but I'm not sure that it depends who gets called on these claims, kind of how things are going to be done on that particular project in that particular area, rather than trying to get everyone, you know, under some sort of discipline and so on and so forth where everybody does the same thing the same way.
3: So very, very good question, Cliff, right? It's You want your clients to get the same service that IRS provided in New Jersey, if it's their client in California, or if it was a Roland client and it's in Chicago, right? So really got it. And that's just change management. And change management is is a tough one, really, when you get down to all the different personalities of these different companies. And it does have its challenges, but it takes a lot of you know, we're in a reactive business, so it takes a lot of proactive change management to really get ahead of that. That's a good question.
1: And it seems to me like that's kind of the position you two are put in here as you know, you've got Tom as the senior vice president of regulatory practice. So na- nationally, and then I, I think uh, Trent as the senior vice president of operations for the East, I assume there's one for the West as well. But is that a big part of your job?
3: It's almost 100% of my job. So I live in that world of change management and working with, you know, Tom and his team and in, in New Jersey and Maxons and and Jeff Gross and his team and Vince Catania and the Roland team and, you know, the Florida has four or five companies that are merging in one state. So I live in that world day in and day out. Yep. And Tom, what about,
2: what's your role now? So... I'll be in the regulatory business practice um, trying and train and coach our branches for HVAC cleaning, um, handling any kind of industrial hygiene questions, indoor air quality questions. So I'll be a resource to all the branches around the country and um, just trying to get everybody on the same page when it comes to like indoor environmental issues. Do you know how many of the uh,
1: different companies had already been providing HVAC systems cleaning, if they all were, or just some of them were? Is this something
2: that's kind of a big change for some of the different divisions? It's a change for some. Uh, a lot of people would subcontract uh, the duct cleaning out. Um, there's several of our branches that do the HVAC cleaning in-house and we're one of them and we want to just cross train our workers so we could uh, provide that service to our clients in-house. Tom what's
1: has anything changed I mean as far as the inspection and maybe the the post-remediation clearance of, of HVAC systems are you seeing anything different out
2: there? Not really I have not come across anything significantly different um Just the verifications of like uh, pressure differences before and after cleaning, cooling coils, um, visual inspections, you know, verification. Most of it's uh, a photographic verification uh, before and afters. Is anybody doing the uh, NADCA vacuum test? Do you ever see that? I really don't see that. You know, I like it. I like the idea, but I really have not seen it. I've seen it on a few jobs, but it's not very common. Okay. What about on, what about on fires? You know uh, that's
0: where I believe there's a great opportunity for, for HVAC cleaning and um, you know, any comments on that, what you're doing or how you're doing it?
2: Um, it's just standard practice of uh, source removal, contact cleaning, um, deodorization, um, encapsulation as a last resort, but if you clean it properly, you probably don't need the encapsulation. Um, I'm wondering, uh, as far as this IAQ
1: mold, HVAC cleaning stuff, it's the end of summer. And, uh, Tom, we had kind of corresponded a little back and forth before the show. And um, are are schools ever going to learn to to stop shutting down their systems and take care of their building over the summer?
2: No, I mean, in 2018, I was overwhelmed with so many schools here in New Jersey. And I was handing out um, hygrometers like little $5, $10 hygrometers that they can mount on their walls. Here's the temperature, here's the relative humidity. The humidity goes up, you need to do something. <laughs> uh, we're going back to those schools right now and, and, and cleaning them, you know, some of them have learned some of them say, hey, we're not going to um over-cool the building or we're not going to shut the HVAC down altogether. But uh, well, there's different people running the schools each summer. So sometimes they have people who are changing jobs. So they're not following our recommendations year after year. Uh, but we're seeing it every, every summer it comes. Uh, mold cleaning, duct cleaning, and post-construction cleaning. Now they do all the construction during the summer. Uh, they make a mess. They don't do any dust control or containment for construction. And there's dust everywhere. And they're like, all right, somebody's got to clean this up. Tom, I mean,
0: you're seeing a lot of schools. Have you seen one school that's gotten money from the government to fix the HVAC system that's actually fixed the HVAC system? No, 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 I have not. I don't think anyone else has either. It's
1: kind of sad, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. What other, in your dealings with schools, are you seeing any changes with respect to, you know, dealing with the potential for COVID outbreaks? Are they at least, you know, the, trying to make sure the ventilation's working
2: right, maybe upgrading the filters? Uh, they I are. I'm, I'm going to be doing some presentations for the schools in the next month, um, talking about what they can do to maintain their systems, uh, doing frequent inspections, uh, making sure they're functioning properly, making sure the coils are clean, making sure they have proper filters. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that they need to do, and they. it's all about educating them on what they can do themselves so is there
1: more awareness now with with covid than there was in the past on ieq i think so
2: you know i mean in the past people didn't know about cleaning properly facility hygiene or what i call and uh, disinfecting so they all have their own procedures now to having their own janitorial staff doing basic cleaning but they're not doing deep cleanings like we would
1: I've got a good uh, text question from the audience here. Are are you seeing any schools using carbon dioxide measurements to determine if their IAQ efforts have been successful? I have not. No. Interesting. Interesting. Trent, do you work much with schools?
3: Uh, We have done a lot of schools, same scenario in several markets, right? They shut down for the summer and everything gets mold and dust and then they turn them on and circulate all that throughout the building without knowledge of filtration or getting it clean prior to so same thing tom's talking about right it's all about educating your client so they don't have these reoccurring issues but at the same time they also have turnover positions which recreates the wheel
1: and another text question is um Are you seeing any schools that are using air cleaners? Now you guys may be in there now before they even start school. So you may not see this, but maybe over the past couple of years, are they buying any HEPA filters uh, or HEPA air cleaners? You know, are they doing any Corsi Rosenthal boxes that you may or may not be familiar (laughs) with? Uh, You are, I know now, Tom, after the, after the building science conference.
2: Right. Right. I haven't, I think that some of them have brought air scrubbers, you know, and, and some of them have purchased dehumidifiers to control moisture in the building during the summer as well. And uh, you know, I, I I think there is a little bit more awareness um, with the the air quality. And so if their HVAC system is not working right, they bring in little portable HEPA air scrubbers.
1: I'm wondering if you're running into any of these um, more uh, hmm, unique Types of uh, solutions with the, you know, uh, catalysts and see, you know, uh, some of the the titanium dioxide and, uh, you know, hydroxyls and all that kind of thing. You see any of
2: that? No, but I know one college that has a UV robot that goes around and disinfects sort of uh, the rooms (laughs) with a UV robot. What about, are
1: you guys, I assume you're working in hospitals quite a bit too. Um, what what do you, what kind of work are you doing in hospitals?
3: So in the healthcare vertical, we, I mean, it touches all kinds of work. Or
1: healthcare, right. yeah, in general, I think right. we should talk more. Yeah.
3: Right, so in acute care, right, it's uh, a lot of infection control. It's all about the ICRA barriers, and there's a new um, ICRA 2.0 uh, come out came out from ashi that really adds another class of uh, ICRA permitting and it's really about particulate verifying your air scrubbers uh, on the job and it, it, it's all about air filtration which kind of is, is indicative to the indoor air quality concern right if it's if it's in a hospital system then clearly it's the same thing they're doing in schools and maybe they'll get there one day in the school systems but I mean you have your All day, everyday work you do in hospitals from fires and floods and uh, you know small incidents to large incidents. Sometimes we work directly with the hospital to just do nothing but infection control when they have a large GC who's doing an addition or a remodel. Or uh, sometimes we work for the GC because they own the liability of infection control.
1: And how are they having you verify that you're reducing the particulate? I mean, is there, are they specific about the type of particle counter? Are they using particle counters? Are they using uh, something else?
3: So that is spe- specified in the new ICRA 2.0 document, 99.97 microns. And use particulate counters before and after to get that verification of each individual air scrubber on the project.
0: H- trend in, in in terms of the containments and stuff are you building a lot of containments or are you using these hard uh, you know containments where you know you kind of rent the component tree and you you set them up and you know they look pretty slick so what are right. you guys doing there
3: well you got to think outside the box a little bit right you got to get creative because some environments don't allow for the start panels or edge guard or whatever panel you use and you may, and you know, above grid systems, you can't put those up there. So you combination of the two, some, some ceiling heights don't allow for hard barriers and you can build hard barriers using, you know, metal framing and some other panels, but usually the healthcare system, you wanna get their approval on it. Cause it's, you know, they're real big on visuals, So you gotta make sure you're meeting their expectations. Right. Is, there, is there a preference that you'd rather do if you have your choice? So the the barrier panels go up much quicker mm-hmm. and they're much cleaner. And do you rent those or do you buy them? We own them and turn around and rent them on a daily basis.
1: Oh, I see. Well, oh, that's a nice little business right there. You you pick them up and then, uh, then you... You rent them, but also I would imagine you help install them oftentimes. Yes. And then you can rent your you don't
3: rent them without installing them. It's, right. a, it's a liability issue there.
1: Gotcha. And then you also rent the uh air scrubbers and things like that? Of course. Tom, any follow up on the on the HVA on the uh uh healthcare facilities.
2: You know, in New Jersey, we, we follow what the hospital system wants us to do. You know, if it's a long-term project, it's a hard wall, short-term project, you're building your own containment, um, but following the ICRA procedures and uh, complying with their, their procedure. Each hospital system does things a little bit differently, uh, but we follow the direction of their uh, industrial hygienist or their consultant as well and their uh, infection control staff. Do they always have their own consultant well, they have an infection control staff or a construction consultant and typically they would have um you know an IH uh, IEP consultant. Now let's talk about healthcare lesser than
1: hospital let's say you know you go to a, a dialysis clinic or something like that what do you guys see with that type of work as far as are, the, are they using third parties or are they asking you to go ahead and verify your own work?
2: Oh, I never verify my own work. We always re- require, Even though I'm an industrial hygienist. A lot of people think, oh, you do your own testing. I'm like, no, I don't. Uh, we always have an independent uh, company do that.
1: Are you always able to get the owner to
2: agree to that and pay for that? Yeah, most of the healthcare systems want that, yes, for verification.
3: Yeah, you'll find most of your larger healthcare system and hospitals are pretty well educated in, in the ICRA world. Sometimes you get into some of the outpatient doc in a box, or as you mentioned, the small doctor's office where there should be some ICRA barrier management that it takes a level of education. But to Tom's point, yes, we always want to lean on outside experts for verification.
1: You know, in the past, Tom, we've talked about disinfecting services that you provided, and I think you were using like the the Tomi system or something like that. Yeah. Uh, are you still seeing a lot of
2: that in the hospital and healthcare? Um, we use the Steramist Tomi system for a more sensitive environments in hospitals, or we'll use them in like pharmaceutical environments. Um, our day in and day out COVID cleaning, we don't typically use it. It's like pretty much overkill on some cases. Now, what, what about
1: mold remediation these days? Um, are, are you seeing anything new with respect to the clearance criteria? Are, are people using any new techniques or new technologies?
2: Um, not really. No, people's, well, the only thing is that people are relying so much on aerosol uh, sampling uh, alone, you know, and and we've probably talked about this so, so many times over the years is that Visual inspection is so important, you know, making sure everything's dust free, you know, basically we call hospital clean and don't rely just on air samples alone, you know, but there's some companies out there that are sort of new to the business and they just rely on indoor and outdoor air comparisons and just say, all right, it passed or failed, you know.
1: I wonder also if you're using any ATP. Are you, are you using it yourself, or are you seeing anyone else using it to help verify cleanliness? I've
2: I've seen consultants use it, and we have that also. So we use that for some of our self verification if we're doing like a clean room. Uh, disinfection Uh, we just want to show how clean that surface is you know what was our progress in the cleaning and that's for our own guys to verify hey we need to clean a little bit more you know if it's not reading properly or if it's not to the standard that we want so it's just a verification of uh our own cleanliness our own cleaning procedures
3: it's some good in-house house house cleaning pre-testing prior to
2: correct professionals yeah. And particle counters help too. you know, say, Hey, we got good air air quality right now. So how do you handle,
1: you know, we keep using the term clear uh, or clearance. I'm assuming when you're done with a project though, that your policy is you don't clear that you just tell the owner we've completed the con- contracted services. Is, does that make sense?
3: Yes. That's kind of a stamp in time kind of thing, right? You, can't clear the whole building, clear what remediation you did, and the area you remediated is you got to define that as being cleared because you can have mold starting to grow tomorrow from another source. And,
1: and
2: Tom, you want to follow yeah. up? Yeah, I like to recommend. I always educate my clients. That if you want to have an independent um, IH or IEP doing some clearance. Do it right away within seventy-two hours. You know, don't wait two weeks and say, "Hey, I'm going to do clearance after we're done two weeks," and that that doesn't represent our work. You know, so we get caught in that situation sometimes where, "Oh yeah, we uh, found uh, counts a little bit high after two weeks." I'm like, "Well, it doesn't really represent what we did two weeks ago." You know, and are are, are you working? I assume. In your new
1: position, Tom, as the uh regulatory business practice, are you like currently working on standard operating procedures for nationwide or you know company-wide as far as these types of these types of issues we're talking about right now?
2: That's correct. We have actually a team of people in our regulatory business practice. We have um Tom Licker who's handling the biosafety issues and environmental. Uh we have uh asbestos experts, we have we have Norris Gerhardt running a team uh, for managing and standardizing our procedures across the country.
1: Um, what's the hardest, you know, you deal with smoke, you deal with chemicals from, you know, meth labs, you, you, you deal with mold, you deal with uh, disinfecting surfaces that have had, you know, COVID, et cetera, which is the hardest one to standardize across the company?
2: Probably some of the environmental services, you know, the biohazard. Some there's things that you don't know what you're going to come in, come across over each day is a different job. You know, um, we have we run into things every week that that surprises us, you know, with the biohazard
3: cleanup. the, The challenge really with any of those, Joe, is, you know, some are regulated by the federal government and then state regulations are different across the country. And someone's got to know those regulations both federally, OSHA, and every state.
1: Oh, and then you've got the, the real wild card, which is the non-regulated things. In uh, most right. of the country, there's no regulation on mold. There's no regulation on, you know, fire damage, et cetera. Right. And, right. So know, speak, I guess,
0: you know, speaking of fire damage, uh, are, are you guys doing a lot of wildfire stuff? Doing
3: a lot of smoke damage from wildfire stuff Mm -hmm. using a lot of air scrubbers and physical hand cleaning of structures. Are you doing residential or just commercial stuff? Focus on that is mainly commercial.
1: All right, guys, we've got to stop for halftime here. We want to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. We've got Tom Peter and Trent Darden, both the first on site property restoration. Our marquee sponsor is first on site your trusted full service disaster recovery and property restoration company at firstonsite.com. Association sponsors are ACGIH, Advancing Careers of Professionals in Environmental Health, Industrial Hygiene and Safety. Interested in defining their science, ACGIH.org. AIHA, Healthy Workplaces, A Healthier World, AIHA.org. The Cleaning Industry Research Institute, See More Deeply Through Science and Research, CIRI science.org. The IICRC, a non standards development and certifying body for the cleaning and restoration industry, IICRC.org. Industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories, free shipping, great pricing, same-day results with no rush fee, AEMLinc.com. Particles Plus, Feature-rich particle counters and air quality instrumentation, count on us, particlesplus.com. TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for monitoring indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations, tsi.com. Sunbelt Rentals, availability, reliability, and ease for all your IAQ and restoration needs, at sunbeltrentals.com. April Air, Healthy Air, Healthy Home, com, And Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online magazine for industry professionals and consumers, healthyindoors.com. All right, we're back for the second half with Trent Darden and Tom Peter. Guys, I, I, I was looking over my notes, and one of the things we didn't touch on in the first half is logistics. And, um, you know,
2: hurricane season is right around the corner here. We have teams all over the Gulf Coast. Uh, you know, we're, we have so many offices now across the country, from California to New York City, uh, from Florida to Canada, and uh, mostly the Gulf Coast, Florida regions, they all prepare for the next storm. Uh, they have teams that meet frequently to go over uh, procedures that we're all doing the same procedures and uh, how we're going to uh, attack these kind of storms. Um, I experienced it last September when Ida came to New Jersey, right. uh, the same day we announced that we were first on site and we had Ida hit us. And so I, I experienced it firsthand, seeing first on site coming to help us. Uh, we took on more work than we have in the past. So we, We actually did more work in the Ida storm than we did with Sandy, believe it or not, Uh, because we had the resources with our teams uh, across the country coming to our our region. And so that's what it's about is mobilizing to the storm, getting the resources you need for your clients. Trent, we got you back. It looks like Um, we're talking about
1: logistics in preparation for hurricane season. And I know that's got to be a big issue on your plate. What other types of logistical uh, complexities are you trying to like kind of sort out now as opposed to dealing with it when the hurricane hits?
3: Uh, so I think we said it earlier, right? Being in a reactionary business, you've got to proactively manage as much as you can. And Ida, I think Tom was using, sorry, I lost my Internet there for a second, was he presented some new challenge. And you, you always want to learn from from past experiences and with Ida, you know, coming ashore Louisiana, you send a lot of resources, you stage accordingly. Next thing you know, Ida's flooded New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, it's a lot of the Northeast. So you have to refocus a lot of assets and being part of first on site really gives us a big edge on that. Cause we now have a lot more resources than we previously had. So, You know, stage where it's going to come ashore, look where the path of the storm is afterwards and plan accordingly. But, you know, equipment, rentals and purchases get really in high demand when a storm's coming and where you can get that stuff. So really just getting as many of those I's dotted and T's crossed ahead of time as you can.
1: It kind of seems to me that that's a big part of the reason this consolidation is happening, uh, in the industry. We've had more hurricanes. It seems like maybe I'm wrong. I don't know what the statistics are, but it seems like we've had more and they've, they've kind of hit a broader path, you know, like Ida, like you say, it started down in, in Louisiana, worked its way all the way up. And then the one up in New York, that was just a, you know, a once in a long, you know, very rare kind of event. Uh, is that, Also, I think part of the reason, or do you think it's part of the reason that uh, First on site and others are consolidating the way they are?
3: I think so, right? We talked about, you know, the fires, uh, forest fires, West Coast, and then you got the floods and derechos in the upper Midwest, and you get the polar vortex freezes in Texas, and you get hurricanes on the East Coast. So when you consolidate and merge with other groups in those areas, you have more access and resources to ship people and equipment into areas that you need to respond to. So that's a huge part of it, right? Having more people on the bench at any time to be able to respond to any event anywhere. So you're, you're, you're right. That's a big part of it.
1: I've got a, a text. I'm not even familiar with this. Can you discuss the armor armor decontamination process and how this might be different from previous I've never even heard of it, but apparently Dawn has. Have you
3: so, put, Tom? Yeah, so Armor process is this. St- yeah, can you hear me? Yep. So the Armor process wanna make sure I didn't lose my internet again. <laughs> the armor process is basically the same process for a deep decontamination for COVID. I assume the question was focused around COVID cleaning.
1: Didn't say, but I'm not familiar. What do they? What, what do they mean by the armor process? Is that like a? Is it a, a an operating procedure for, or, or a new type of equipment?
3: No, it's a, basically after you do a biomass reduction cleaning and you decontaminate for uh, coronavirus. Or any other virus, you know, you are decontaminating the process. There's a, a third and final step where you would add a, a product. There's varying products out there that claim to kill any uh, or prevent okay. any growth of virus on surfaces for anywhere from one to six months to even a year. Oh, some sort. yeah, no, there, there there have been
0: a lot of these coatings for for years. Yeah, um, and essentially what the coding does is take the surface and turn it into a treated article. And it works under what's called the EPA treated article exemption. So they don't necessarily, I'm not sure they can, I think some can say that they can kill for like a limited, a very, very right. limited period of time, maybe 24 hours or, or something like that. But then most of the stuff is inhibit or prevent and so on and so forth. Mostly and for
3: bacteria.
2: Yeah. It's,
0: it's, it's way more yeah, correct. It's not so
3: much for viral, but In what happens of- is, a lot of those products can come off, get, get removed during, you know, daily cleaning from your janitorial service.
2: Absolutely. Or it could be a biofilm over it. So the, you know, there's a lot of factors involved. I'm wondering, are you guys running into any monkeypox
1: top uh, projects? Anybody calling about monkeypox? I mean, you're in the epicenter. You're close to the epicenter, Tom.
2: (laughs) You have to ask Tom Licker; that's his specialty. But uh, that's I, have not, I have not done any monkeypox decontamination yet.
0: Right? Tom, any th- I was going to ask Tom what you
2: know. What does facility hygiene mean? That's a term that I use, like. Um, I'm a certified industrial hygienist. A lot of people don't even know what an industrial hygienist is. <laughs> and uh, uh, they say, what's that? And, well, I always thought, uh, well, I'm always cleaning buildings, you know, and I'm training, talking to people how to keep their buildings clean. So I said, "That's more like facility. And so it's facility hygiene. Uh, only a few people use that term. But I like the term because it's overall thinking, keeping a building clean, not just surfaces, but maintaining it, uh, making sure HVAC is part of the picture there, making sure that's cleaned and inspected. So it's a whole package of inside the building, uh, healthy indoor environments, uh, a facility, more of a commercial facility uh, or school, uh, thinking, keeping it clean and, and uh, hygienically clean.
1: Yeah, I think people know what hygiene means. They don't know what industrial hygiene means. It's a little confusing for people, I believe. So that's a a good way of uh, helping clear up some of that confusion. Hey, we had asked, um, and and I don't know if you guys had a chance, any good case studies or recent projects that our our audience could learn from?
2: Just a role in restoration? or Yeah, in the restoration world. So I'll use yes. an
3: example. We have a pretty large national healthcare client that through our merger of multiple companies, you know, we've been able to really take our to Tom's point, our specialty and really engage other folks on some good on the job training and been able to really take on some projects coast to coast. I mentioned one specifically in South Texas where three entities work together and did, did a lot of in-house training. And that's how we kind of work on getting our cross training, as Tom talked about earlier, into other entities and be able to spread that quality of service.
1: And what type of, was it a uh, water damage project or something different? It was a water damage project,
3: large water damage project.
1: Okay. Cliff? um
0: let's see can you comment on first
3: on-site goals and and initiatives Well, well our company tagline is to be the only partner you'll ever need okay so our our goals are right now we're really focused on like tom and the other practices he spoke about we're focused on really education And Joe, to your point earlier, really about thinking outside the box on how we can get some continuing education for all of our teams and really build people first business that is centered around creating career paths and education, empowering, and really focused on that next generation.
1: All right. I've got a question for you now. You don't have to show us, but do either of you have on your first on-site socks?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: I do not. <laughs> I did yesterday. They're dirty okay. Uh, <laughs> I
1: always see uh, Adrian's post on, on LinkedIn. <laughs> I <you get> pictures <laughs> of people with their first on-site socks on. I don't That's know. Right. What, what was that all about? <laughs> How did that, come like about? a trend going around
2: right now. That's right. They're on vacation and they're showing off their socks, you know. So yeah, apparently, like,
3: crazy socks is a trend everywhere. So, oh, okay, all
1: right, I get it now. Hey, let's go to the roundup. But, Clifford, you have you have another one before we go? I just
0: I just had one. Uh, I was wondering if someone could comment on, um, I guess, the use of experts to support clients and staff. Uh, it, it seems that it's uh, a new trend that that
2: you guys are are following. I just wondered if you could comment on that. Well, we always rely on um, independent consultants, IHs or IEPs to assist us on water damage, uh, fire, healthcare jobs. Uh, we also have partners for training, uh, for safety training. Um, we're really big on the training, the safety, and, and first on site, which I'm really excited about. I'm glad to be part of that too. And uh, so we have outside sources helping with that, with the ICRA training, uh, healthcare care training, biosafety, hazmat training. And so that, that's the quality of people that we want to maintain our staff with uh, high education using outside sources. Tom, in the regulatory business practice
1: division or whatever you are there, is it just you or are there several people there? How does that work?
2: Well, yeah, we fall under Norris Gerhardt's division. He's the head of our regulatory business practice. So, uh, our verticals there are healthcare, uh, HVAC, and facility hygiene, asbestos, biosafety, and environmental services. So, those are our verticals there um, where, that we're focused on. Where does on. lead paint fall under there? Do you do any lead work? Uh, we don't, I don't think, there's some branches that have licenses for lead. Um, if we come across that, most likely we could use a, a subcontractor's license. Again, it's like each state is different for lead abatement. Uh, but we do follow the EPA uh, RRP rules um, overall for regular day in and day out work. What about silica exposure? Do you Do you have to deal with that much? I have not. I mean, I, I've come across it in the past where we've done silica cleanups after contractors made a mess in a the building. Uh, mm-hmm. There we would, you know, protect our workers and, and do a detailed cleaning of a facility. But uh, we don't come across it, you know, too often for yeah, exposure wise. You're not cutting stone or
1: nah, concrete my, or anything like that on a race. Yeah,
2: exactly. That's what I'm
3: thinking. Done, done a lot of, like you said, done a lot of silica cleanup projects, but not where it's part of one of our projects. But we do train in our safety departments. One of our annual trainings is silica dust control.
1: Interesting. All right, let's go to the roundup, John. We're going to bring in the restoration industry global watchdog. I hope he's still on. The Roundup is brought to you by April Air, providing healthy humidity, ventilation, and air purity solutions for new and existing homes. April Air, healthy air, healthy home at AprilAire.com. All right. Pete Consigli, do we have you somewhere? There he is. All right. The global hey, watchdog, buddy. Can you guys hear me okay? Yep. Yeah. I, uh,
4: so I'm, I'm calling in on my phone and um i uh i'm in um herndon virginia northern virginia dc metro at mr john fletcher's place for store tech some of the people have been following the show and people RE members know that we've uh you know we've um uh in the in the switching of our ma- of our management some of the archival stuff was actually stored at rollin when they before they were first on site and i and john has some stuff with the marty king uh stuff which is going to be donated to RAA. and it's kind of been sitting for a while and got delayed because of the covid so this year since i i did my I, i'm back on my summer camp road trip again um john was kind enough to uh consolidate everything and trent organized uh getting everything that was stored at Roland brought over here They're you know they're right in the dc metro area too in in maryland and so anyway it's uh the task was a little bit more than i had remembered yeah. Uh, but anyway we're almost done with it and uh it's all good so uh thanks trent thanks to the rowland first on site guys and certainly thanks to john and uh uh you know and and his people at restore tech that are kind of just uh everybody's kind of pitching in to uh to help go through all this archives you know for the betterment of, of the industry and the ria um uh so uh I, the one thing I, I, I you know, uh, Joe, when you were talking about the New Jersey schools and I was listening to Tom talk about that, uh, I don't know why it is every year that they have these issues. I'm sure New Jersey is not the only state, but I remember Mike McGinnis built a business on that. Mike says every year they have, uh, you know, they do the carpet cleaning during the summer. And for whatever reason, sometimes a lot of these schools forget to, uh, um, you know, the air conditions are set on kind of summer mode. And a lot of humidity builds up and they actually have mold pro, uh, projects and they have to wind up to replace a lot of the carpet. I don't know if that's still going on. Tom, is that something you still get? Yeah. for that? Yeah, like, definitely.
2: Like, that, that goes on. And also, um, if they clean a room at the end of the year and, and they close it, you know, well, what would they clean with? They cleaned with a, a solution that's 90 percent water. Where's that water going? It's going to evaporate into the air. And if that, that water's, uh, that moisture's stuck in the air, you have humidity and you have mold growth, you know?
3: Yeah, well,
4: I'm surprised after all these years, they still haven't fixed that problem, but I suppose it's good for business. I mean, uh, Mike said that sometimes there was such mold inf- infestation on the carpeting, they, they you really almost had, you had to follow the asbestos protocols back in the day to pull all that stuff out so you didn't, you know, contaminate the entire building. Right. Um, and I'm sure other schools have those issues. You would think that they would specify to either do something with the air conditioning or bring some drying equipment in just to dry the buildings when during the summer, you know, to dry the carpet outside on those issues. But it's like the Fram oil filter, you pay now or you pay later. Right. Uh, now, listen, uh, on a serious note, gentlemen, I, I enjoyed the show and you guys kind of talking about, um, you know, all the different things and the benefits of, uh, of the roll-ups and the consolidation in the industry. That's a sign of maturing. And, uh, you know uh, a lot of the companies that are involved in these different roles for the two or three four different networks like joe mentioned that are doing it Now, many of them are the RA members and uh, been around for years and uh anyway I, I think it's good for the industry to make everybody kind of just stay a little bit on their toes you know as it uh, gets more competitive out there to uh you know to satisfy the clients and offer that one-shop service or you know be the whatever Trent said that uh tagline was you know to to be you know the only only service company that you'll need to handle all those kind of uh, services that you all provide. Um, you know, I I have a question for you guys and here's a little curveball coming so, you know, with first onsite, so who who's who's the main competitor for first onsite? Who's the Coke, who 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 do you guys characterize as the Coke and Pepsi in the industry?
3: <laughs> well, of course any of us even some of our competitors are going to say we don't have any true competitors, but <laughs> <laughs> And actually,
4: actually, Trent, we all know that that's a bold-faced lie. And uh, <laughs> and, 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 and even the and even the global leader says that, that, that they don't have any competitors. So a little funny story, when I was sitting down with one of those guys for the global leader, and he said that about a year or so ago when the, when the whole roll-up was starting with the first onsite and some of the other companies, I said, now nah, you know that that's not true. I said, uh, I I personally believe that at least in the commercial sector, it's first on site and and the global leader. They're the I think you guys are the Coke and Pepsi. And that's the challenge. And you're you're going out there to take a market share. Now, tell me, tell me I'm wrong and tell me I'm lying.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Pete, I'm wondering, you say this this consolidation is good for the industry. Why do you feel that way?
4: Well, I. because it's a sign of maturing
0: you know number one you you know you can only take the stress i think for so many years and i think you get burnt out i think what happens is you kind of reach i think every man's got to know their limitations you know you kind of have taken the business as far as you can and um you know I, i i think you know when it's time at least you know from my perspective that's what i've seen happen more than once
2: well, yeah, I agree. Um, it's like you mature to a yeah,
4: I don't know. Health. I, I had the signal was kind of bad. Kind of came in and out. Yeah. What I was trying to say was, is that the the h the the air the air conditioning and HVAC Cindy started a consolidation back at that time, and I remember talking, you know, to some of the people that were in these different industries, and the plumbing industry was doing it too, and then the real estate industry did it. This all happened in the eighties and nineties, and that's just a sign of, mat- of maturity. And kind of what Cliff was saying is that as industries uh, start to mature and people compete for market share, consolidation is a natural process of the roll-up strategies that's going to happen. And it's happened in our industry. And, you know, it's probably both good and bad. I would think it's a double-edged sword, but it's, it's hard for small independent guys to operate, you know, uh, on their own, unless they have an affiliation with the, you know, with somebody else. And, uh, and um, I don't know, I, I maybe the part of it where I think it's good, it just makes people, become more competitive and it and they have to stress to offer a high level of service because uh, the marketplace becomes competitive. I don't see it as bad. I think the customers benefit from that. And at the end of the day, um, you know, listening to Trent talk, at least from the first sites perspective, you know, they want to partner and they're, you know, the roll ups are starting, at least in their, with their companies, with people that have uh, like minded customers, like minded cultures taking care of how they treat their employees and their customers and what their service offerings is. And that, to me, that's what gives the competitive
1: advantage. Uh, guys, before we go, I-, I got two questions. One is for those out there that have these, you know, restoration companies that maybe want to position themselves to become a part of a larger group What's the most important thing for them to do? What do you think First On site saw in your groups? And secondly, we always ask before you go, if there's anything we missed you'd like to add, please, please do. Let's start with you, Trent, because I know you've got to leave right
3: at one o'clock. I appreciate that, Joe. So, you know, if you are a a, uh, contractor interested in potentially joining forces, I think take a deep dive into your financials and be financially prepared because they do do an in-depth review of your financials, but also you don't want to engage your teams obviously and let them know you're thinking about it, but maybe find a way to talk about the industry with your teams and what's going on in the world. Because when, and if and when you do make the decision to join a, a larger group, you know, that's, we talked about it early on in the call. That's, that's a tough change management. So, you know, open communication with your staff, but definitely be prepared financially for a, uh, a good exam.
1: Trent, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to meet you.
2: Get a chance to talk to you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Tom, before we go. Okay. Um, Yeah. We have matured and after 35 years of being in business, I think we matured our company. And I said, how do we take this to the next level? And that's when we started thinking, hey, this last year, we've seen a lot of consolidations going on. And I said, who are we going to partner with? We want to partner with somebody like-minded, uh, strong business, uh, having the right resources and the right people. And we found First on site. And yeah, it was a it's a grueling process to be reviewed. It's not just financial, but it's everything, from you know client bases and profitability and and so forth. So, what are your resources that you can offer? You know, that's what somebody's looking for is um, what skills you have and what resources you have to offer the larger the parent company. Hundred percent agree.
1: Tom, thanks again. It's always a pleasure getting you on, getting a chance to talk to you. You've got a unique <laughs> perspective, and uh, we appreciate you joining us. I also want to thank Trent, um, the restoration industry's global watchdog, Pete Consigli. Maybe we'll get a better connection next time with Pete. Uh, of course, my co host, the Z Man, Cliff Slotnick. John, you got to have faith at the controls, our fantastic sponsors, and most importantly, our loyal audience. Next week, we're going to have Ruth Ann Norton of the Green and Healthy Homes Initiative join us. So come back next Friday at noon for the next episode of IAQ Radio Plus.
0: For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reel saying thanks for listening.